The word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 40, reading verses 27 to 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. On occasions, uh, we complain uh, before God for whatever reason. And uh, God answers in the scriptures. The answer this morning is from uh, the imagery of the first exodus and God's leading and provisioning of his people, uh, meaning that he will take them to the end. I would uh, commend to you the reality that uh, that may not be an immediate answer to your every complaint, but it is the ultimate answer, that we have begun the greatest immigration movement of all time. And all along the way, God is with us, making provision and promising us uh, that we will uh, breach the distant shores. Our text begins uh, this morning with uh, a complaint from Israel. Uh, verse 27, uh, the answer, uh, the rest of the paragraph. And the answer embraces two essential facts uh, that are important for all of us who on occasion complain against God, and that is uh, the person of God, and then verses 30 to 31, the promises of God. Let's begin uh, with the complaint in verse 27. Uh, Israel is not yet in captivity, but they will be, and in captivity they will complain. Uh, my way is hidden from God. God doesn't know my plight. Uh, the justice that is due me uh, passes me by. New American Standard has escaped the notice of my God. He's forgotten me. Maybe you've never said that, but uh, I suspect there are times when you think that uh, you've made a call and all you get is a busy signal. You wonder if there'll ever be an answer. Well, that's the complaint of the nation of Israel, will be in their captivity. Uh, sometimes we expand that exponentially, do we not? God doesn't care about my lot in life. In effect, Israel is charging God. Of course, if we understand exactly why they are in captivity, we understand that more properly he is the one that is uh, 
justified in charging them because of their idolatry, but nonetheless, it is a common light of all of us in the fallenness of our humanity sometimes to complain of God's providential acts in our lives. I'm not necessarily saying that complaining is wrong. I'm saying, though, that if you act on those complaints, then you are liable to get yourself in a great deal of trouble. Because the ultimate answer to all of our complaints is in Scripture. I think momentarily, for example, of the great lament psalms that are a majority of the entire Psalter. The psalmist begins to complain, but at some point in a lament psalm, there's always the theology of God that checks him. Think, of course, of one of the first books of the Old Testament, the book of Job. Doesn't Job begin to ultimately complain about his lot in life before God? And what checks him in the latter chapters of the book? The majesty and the sovereignty of the greatness of God. Well, Scripture is the answer to our every complaint. Uh, and this morning we uh, begin with uh, the answer of this text in the person of God, and then uh, we'll turn uh, in a moment to the promises of God. Verses 28 to 29, uh, comfort is based upon the person of God. I remind you that this entire chapter begins with the word comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. Uh, we know from the New Testament that Christ is the uh, greatest answer of comfort. Uh, here is another answer in the person of God. Uh, that all of us uh, go through the distresses of life. God is our every comfort. Isaiah answers their complaint uh, with a question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Of course, the content of those questions is the theology of the person of God, the greatness of God, uh, the everlasting God, the Lord, the one creating the ends of the earth, does not grow weary or tired. So let's look momentarily at the concept of creation, the one creating. Uh, it's really the theology of this entire chapter. It will encompass much of uh, the rest of our study of the book of Isaiah, that God is the creator. Uh, perhaps an allusion to Genesis 1-1 and the creation of the physical universe. But the more immediate reference is that God will create the occasion for the restoration of the nation. They're going or soon to go into captivity. God will create the nation anew and lead them back to the land of Israel from which they have been expelled. How can that happen? It can happen because God is the sole sovereign creator. Much of the theology of uh, the immediate chapters revolve around this recurring theme. God is creator, and that of the exodus. God created the nation anew from the Egyptian bondage. He leads them, the exodus, to the promised land, and God can do it again because of who he is, the sole sovereign creator. They're going back into captivity. Is that the end of it? No, God will create them anew in a greater exodus. That nothing is above or outside of his ability. Israel has failed in their idolatry. That's why they're going to go into the Babylonian captivity. That's not the end of it, because God can start over. And he will. 
application, of course, is to all of us in our immediate circumstances, whatever they might be. And because of the fallenness of the world in which we live and because of the fallenness of what we are, uh, we need to be reminded that uh, we are a new creation and that God can start over and that God can affect restoration because of who he is. He's the creator. And there's no circumstance that you can find yourself in which God could ever forget you as one of his sons and that he cannot restore and make new regardless of your circumstances because of who he is, the sole sovereign creator. If God could frame the universe in Genesis 1, and he did, then he can affect anything respecting your life because of who he is. So I know on occasion we come and we complain. Immediate answer is the person of God and what he can do. God creates. He's going to create the nation anew and lead them on a new exodus. I think highlights uh, a verse that I oftentimes uh, think upon in my own circumstances. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you look at your circumstances, you say, this is impossible. I'll never get out of this jam. Or it's just never going to change. That's what we see. We don't walk based upon what we see. We walk by faith, knowing who God is and that we are his sons. Walk by faith and not by sight. Faith tells us that God is a creator. That God can start over. Furthermore, the prophet says of God that he does not grow weary or tired. In all of his works of providence, he doesn't say, it's time for a power nap. I'll take 15 minutes. No. God is life in and of himself totally independent in all of his existence. He needs nothing. He does not need rest. It is a reminder to them in the circumstances of the captivity, they will grow weary, but their God never grows weary. And he is not subject to fatigue. He is not rendered incapable because of aging. little bit familiar with this in light of my own parents. You grow old and things break. God does not grow old and nothing respecting him ever breaks. He does not need to go to the gym to get in shape to affect the restoration. He just simply needs to speak and things will happen. And as we go through the rest of this book, we will watch God stand up deliverers to affect creation and exodus because of the majesty of whose God is. These great themes of uh, exodus and creation uh, will all come together uh, in the word of the Lord that again is much a part of this second uh, half of the prophecy of Isaiah, the word of God. God doesn't need to convene a council. He doesn't need to go take a course. He doesn't need to get the directions out. He simply needs to speak. It's the majesty of who he is.
and his understanding is unsearchable. He knows their plight. And by the way, he knows everything about your life. He knows exactly the circumstances that you are in. Our prayers don't inform him. They inform us of our need for him. The majesty of who he is, that we serve uh, the greatness of God who is omniscient, that he knows all things actual, impossible in one eternal moment. Isn't it a great thing we don't have to educate God about our plot in life? Educate ourselves of our abject dependence upon Him. That's why we pray. Two attributes here, sovereignty and omniscience. If true, and they are, then restoration is simply a matter of timing. If you think about it, that's something of the essence of this text. It's not what is going to happen. That's a certainty. It's only when. Simply a matter of timing. And that God controls both the what and the when. As, as God, Isaiah tells us that he gives strength to the weary, increases power to those who lack it, that God can and will intervene. He's the giver of divine ability to his people, he is the headwaters of grace and mercy and power. Of all that we could uh, say respecting the inability of man, and that is a deep and wide and unfathomable subject, the greater hope is the ability of God, and that is a deeper and a wider and an even more unfathomable subject. That God is able to do an effect and to rescue his people. That there is not a circumstance so dark and difficult that they can ever be found in, that he cannot and will not rescue them from. He shares his power with his people. The great uh, expression of the praise of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. That God is able to do more abundantly than all that we could ask or ever even think not just because of the past, but because of the present and the future. He is able to do because he is God. And so, when you complain, remember the person of God. His ability, his power, his knowledge, his ability to act. Let's turn from the person of God to the promise of God. Because the greatness of God is a link to his promises that affect our destiny, verses 30 to 31. My reminder that the present circumstances do not define us, God does. The focus begins, interestingly enough, with young people, verse 30. We've all made the comment that speaking of a child, that their energy never seems to run out. The second reference to uh, young people in the text is a particular reference to young men who are qualified for military service and therefore young men who are strong and vigorous. But even they are going to grow tired as their faith is stretched and circumstances beat upon them. 
Typically, youth are full of stamina, but in captivity, they will grow weary and stumble. Furthering the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint says uh, that they will, they will grow hungry, that even the strongest of men will fail without proper nutrition. I, I, I on occasion, watch this. portions of this program, uh, people who uh, sign up to go be taken to the Amazonian rainforest and uh, they don't have any food or water. And I think it's 21 days. After watching maybe an hour, an hour of their lives, it kind of bores me. But nonetheless, uh, uh, I mean, lacking water and food, at some point they become mentally and physically exhausted and sometimes... Uh, some of them just simply give up. I can't take it anymore. It's exactly what's going to happen to the nation captivity. I suspect in your life you've gone through circumstances that are somewhat parallel. You say, I can't, I can't take this anymore. Uh, and and your, your, your soul is uh, hungry uh, for some answer to, to sustain you through it. Uh, again, the, the language is figurative of the erosion of, of faith and, uh, and trust in God. Uh, that even young men grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble badly. That time and circumstance can uh, break the will so that we can succumb and give up. Uh, I, I do remind you, uh, not unmindful that Christians complain, uh, but I do caution you about acting on your complaints because you can get in a great deal of trouble by acting uh, upon what you see rather than what the scripture proclaims about the greatness of the person of God and all of his promises. Well, to this immediate circumstance, God has a promise, and that is verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The first key is waiting upon the Lord. Psalm uh, 25, verse 3. None who wait upon the Lord will be ashamed. It's a great reminder to wait upon God. And that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Proverbs 20, 22. Those who wait upon the Lord will be saved. They go together. Waiting and salvation go together. It is true that God places us sometimes in very difficult circumstances. I would remind you that the Babylonian captivity is going to be a great circumstance for the children of Israel. The prophet is saying, wait upon the Lord. None who wait upon the Lord will be ashamed. God will save all who wait upon him. The inability to wait, of course, is one of the great failings of men. That's why uh, I think indirectly from 2 Corinthians 5, we can say be very careful about acting upon what you see rather than what you know about God and know about his promises. Because when God is the object of our waiting, it's just simply a matter of timing. 
we could go to parallel words. Instead of faith, we could say trust God. Why should we trust God? Because he is trustworthy. Always trustworthy. There is never a time in which God has not been trustworthy for his people and their care and their salvation. The scriptures are trustworthy because they are the word of God that tell us of the majesty of God and the fullness of his promises. And what God has done in the past, in the first exodus from Egypt, in his provision throughout the wilderness, he can do again, and he will do again, and I will come into in a moment that he was doing again even today. He's not limited by our circumstances. The scriptures radically affirm that God is worth waiting for because his trustworthiness is from generation to generation of all of his people. It's a summons to faith, and faith has an outcome. This text has two outcomes of being faithful or waiting for God. They will exchange weakness for strength. That God will renew us as we wait and trust in Him. Secondly, they will mount up with wings like eagles and run and not get tired and walk and not faint. It's a progression here, is that they're sore, sore like the eagle. Interestingly enough, uh, the Septuagint has grow feathers. God will enable us, if we wait upon him, uh, to soar like uh, the, great, the great eagles. Seemingly tireless effort, their wings spread, uh, eddies of uh, air bearing them up. If we wait upon God, we will become like that. We will soar, we will run, we will walk. Seemingly it's a degrading progression, but I think the reality of the text is that uh, as we trust God, we progress through the circumstance. There is movement through. We don't become static. We continue faithful, moving in our trust of God. I mean, oftentimes, Christians, as they complain, they go to their rooms, they lower the shade, they turn out all the lights, and, and, and they, they uh, envelop themselves in sadness and sorrow. I think the text is telling us is keep moving forward in your faith. Keep progressing. Don't isolate yourself. Keep going to church. Keep maintaining uh, relationships with other Christians. Keep praying. Keep reading. Keep studying. And you will find the great healing power of the provision of God seeing you through those times. Whether it be soaring like the eagle or running or walking, just simply the progression of faith. But it is more than this. The language of verse 31 is an allusion to the first exodus. Let's look at a couple of texts. The first, uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. It's the implicit reminder that what, what God did in the past, He can do again, and He will do again. And He will do for us in this very day. 
Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the language of the prophet Isaiah in verse 31 of the 40th chapter, again alluding to what God did to the nation of Israel in bringing and creating the nation unto himself. He destroyed Pharaoh, led them through the Red Sea, the dry ground, the wilderness wanderings where he provided for them. Another text that I think uh, Isaiah is alluding to is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 and 11. And he found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of a wilderness he encircled him. He cared for him, he guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. By the way, the word hovering here is that of the spirit hovering. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the spirit of God hovering over the chaos of the creation, about to act. The Spirit of God hovering over his people. He spread his wings and, and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. What God did in the first Exodus, he's going to do again, the Babylonian Exodus. And he's doing for us this very day. The, uh, again, the Greek translation, the Septuagint is also instructive here for it reads that they will not hunger uh, in their wilderness wanderings. Uh, and you know the book of Exodus. Uh, they grew hungry in the wilderness, and what did God do? He gave them manna and quail to provide for them, to nourish them, to strengthen them. When they grew thirsty, he provided them water. The faithfulness of God in the Exodus is going to do again and is doing this very day. He miraculously sustained them in the wilderness. It's a text that's always intrigued me about uh, God provisioning for his people, Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verses 3 and 4. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, nor did your foot swell those 40 years. Incredible provision of God keeping his people. I mean, think of it in this way. You and I are clothed with the righteousness of God. It will never wear out in our journey to heaven. We don't need to go to a seamstress to fix it. Provision of God for his people. Faithfulness of God. Promises of God sustaining us difficult times. Eagles are uh, well known for caring for their, for their young. Uh, this uh, imagery is... Uh, used uh, by the psalmist on a number of occasions. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. 
the outcome is verses 14 to 16. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. The provision of God for his people throughout their wanderings in the wilderness. Uh, A number of years ago, I used to uh, run in my neighborhood. These little birds that migrate from the north that uh, come into my neighborhood and uh, female bear young. Migratory birds, I mean, all birds uh, bear young. So, I mean, I understand that, but uh, I really understood it in a profound way when one day I was running and something hit my forehead and it happened to be a, one of these birds. Another time I was running, and one of them uh, raked me with their sharp talons. What's going on? What's with this bird? Well, I was getting too close to the nest and to her young. Protecting her young instinctively. And that's what God does for us. He protects us securely. That anything about our spiritual life is under his sovereign protection, and nothing can get at us or harm us, or call us to fall out of the firmness of his grasp. Provision of God. The fact that the imagery here, the metaphors of an eagle is escalated by the fact that God is our ultimate provider in all of the journeys of life. And he will not let us go. And none of the forces of darkness can get at us. They can harm us physically but they can never harm us spiritually because of the provision of God. This is a God worth serving and waiting for, knowing that we are in his hands and his promises are steadfast and sure and certain, that he is trustworthy of our faith. By alluding to the first exodus, Isaiah is reminding the nation that what God did in the seeming impossibility of it on the human level did not stop God. I mean, they were slaves under the most powerful man in the face of the earth, Pharaoh. They were rendered servants of his, slaves. Their bondage was difficult and hard. That didn't stop God. When he wanted to rescue them, he did and raised up a man to do it, Moses. And now it's even escalated on a greater scale. The God-man Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, the greatest of all rescues. What he did from Egypt, he will do again from Babylon. The second exodus will occur. Again, the subject is very instructive here, for it reads, and they will not hunger. Again, God provided, God provisioned, God keeps so that the past informs the promise of God to do again what he did then. Reason we study biblical history. God rescued uh, Israel from Egypt. Uh, He rescued them from Babylon. 
You think he can do it again? Manifestly so. More importantly, he is. It's already begun. It's our reminder that God is not only worth waiting for, it's our ultimate reminder that what he starts, he finishes. So the text is going to escalate in a greater sense of fulfillment in the New Testament. It's even more intense for we are the new creation. Again, think of it this way. He created uh, the nation from Egypt. He created them again from Babylon. Now he creates his church through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. New creation's begun. By the way, God's creation doesn't unravel because of who he is and what he does and his promises to keep, preserve his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The last great creative act of God is begun in Jesus Christ. And it is that theology that can bear us up the wings of eagles and cause us to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. As such, the great spiritual renewal that will end in the entire restoration of the physical creation has begun. Something of this theology and a great expression of the praise of God's servants in heaven. Revelation chapter 4 in verse 11. Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. One of the greatest objects of study of the scriptures that God creates, and that everything exists because he creates it, and he bears us all along the way by his sovereign creative power and acts. And studying that theology and embracing that theology has a way of bearing us up, wings of eagles, recognizing that our circumstances are not by chance and that God has not forgotten us, that God will keep and preserve us, and more importantly, he will get us to the end. And nothing is by chance or apart from divine purpose. It's our reminder that God's actions in our lives are purposeful and for his glory. And our identity with him seals our fate and that our present day sufferings are not meaningless or the product of chance. But this, this metaphor of uh, the eagle bearing up and protecting its young has, I think, its uh, greatest escalation in the New Testament, reference, referencing uh, our lives as members of the body of Christ. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 14 to 16. I, I, I would take this chapter as a, as, as a reference to uh, our present day uh, exodus uh, and God's provision for the day. 
The two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured out the water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away by the flood. And the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out its mouth. In the imagery is that of the first exodus. It's applied to us as the church. We are this woman. The context is the dragon cast out of heaven due to its inability to stop the birth, the resurrection, and the enthronement of Christ. And so he turns his fury on the messianic community and the church. And like the eagle metaphor of old, God protects and preserves his people today as he protected Israel in the first exodus, as he protected them in the second exodus, so he is our protection this day. And the great metaphor of the eagle bearing up its young is now applied to the church in the midst of the fury of the dragon who seeks to destroy us, but it cannot because of the wings of the eagle that is our place of safety and comfort. The exodus imagery speaks to our journey and God's provision all along the way. It's interesting here that Satan spews out a flood of deception, but God helps the church as he helped Israel through the Red Sea. And as of old, God nourishes us this very day. If you look back at Revelation 12, verse 14, she was nourished, and so God nourishes us today in the teaching ministry of the Word of God. In the provision of the Word of God, he nourishes us to strengthen us that we might continue in our progression of being faithful. That's why the teaching ministry of the Scriptures is so important because it's our daily nourishment from God. That in redemptive history, Jesus is the greater Moses leading the last great final exodus. And all along the way, he is our sustaining power. I mean, John chapter 6, verse 35 if any man is hungry, let him come to me and eat. He is the bread of heaven. He who believes in me will never thirst, Jesus says. Our spiritual provision all along the way in this last great final exodus of which you and I are participants and that God in this mighty metaphor is providing, caring, protecting us in our journey in this last great exodus. Very interesting to me in America, we're having this great debate. We've been having it for, I don't know, 20 or 30 years over immigration. I'll leave it to you as to your own particular opinions on the debate in America, but the greatest immigration event is people fleeing the city of destruction, immigrating to heaven dangerous journey, but the great eagle is our provision, keep, provide, nourish, and protect. And there are no mortars. All can go through Jesus Christ, begin this journey that ends in heaven. God's provision will keep and preserve and protect. 
And of course, ultimate reality is he will not fail his people because of who he is. He's the creator. He leads his people in this last great exodus. Uh, by the way, if you're not a Christian uh, and you're troubled about immigration in America, uh, who knows I'll be answered. Uh, it's really a secondary issue, is it not? This is the greatest immigration event. Flee to Christ. Begin the journey in him. He's the door to the journey. He's also the end point. And all along the way, he gives his people food and drink. Immigrate. If you're not a Christian, start today. If you are a Christian and you're troubled, uh, reread Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that great eagle provisions, keeps, and protects. He will not fail us because of who he is. Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Now, the comfort that begins this passage, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, is ultimately ours in Jesus Christ. I'm aware that along the way we occasionally complain, but the answer, the person of God, his sovereign power to create, and his sovereign ability to lead this last great act of immigration. And we will breach the distant shores of eternal glories. He will perfect it until the day of Christ. Again, if you're not a Christian, uh, you stay in the city of destruction, that's what you're going to get. Come to Christ, go through the door, believe in him, begin the journey. Keep trusting. The wings of the eagle will bear us up. Keep moving forward. Don't act on your complaints. Keep moving forward. God's provision are sufficient for the day. And it's the greatest promise, I think, of all time. He will take you the distance.